0: What is up, Calvary Church? Good to see you, and uh, glad that you are here with us. Uh, A lot of people here on our campus, and people back in the connection room, and over here on the side, I will make sure that every once in a while, I tune my attention over this direction, so you are included. Glad that all of you are here, glad for all of you that are joining with us online, and uh, you're here at a great time. We are into a series called Created for Significance. Created for significance. You were created for what? Say it. Significance. Significance. Exactly. Now, you may be sitting here though today and saying to yourself, I don't feel very significant. I don't feel very significant. You're here. You might even think created by God, sure. But created for significance? I don't know. I'm not feeling it. And it's possible that you might even be here and say, you know what, a year ago, maybe I was feeling that way. But now, circumstances, situations, I don't feel very significant. So here's the question Is it possible for you to have significance and not feel that way? Is it possible for you to have value and yet not feel? valuable. I, I think it is. And, and I'll tell you why. I'll give you a personal illustration, all right? Uh, the Mona Lisa, okay? We've got a picture of it here on the screen for you. There it is, the Mona Lisa. Can I be honest with you? Eh. I mean, I can kind of take it or, or leave it, you know? I'm not, uh, I'm not going to be hanging that in my office, I just, now there's a couple reasons. First of all, if I had the real deal, well, it would be stolen, okay? (laughs) So uh, there's the first reason. Um, but, But if they offered me, you know, somebody gives me a replica, I don't know, it's a good painting, I mean, it's nice, it's, you know, somebody's mom, I guess. Uh, but I'd, I'd rather have a picture of my wife or something. I don't need the Mona Lisa. Can I tell you something? My personal feeling has absolutely nothing to do with the significance or the value of the Mona Lisa. The Mona Lisa, in fact, when it was put into the. Does anybody know how to say this? The. What is it? The Louvre? I don't know. It was, <clears throat> always kind of sounds like you're a little sick when you speak French. Louvre. What? The Louvre. The Louvre. The Louvre is on fire. That's all it is. You don't even say that, R.E. Anyways, there's this museum in Paris, and that's where it is. When it was put in there in 1962, it was the most insured painting in the world at $100 million. Today, it's valued at $867 million. Nearly a billion dollars for a painting. Is that crazy? We could say, yeah, but guess what? The fact that I wouldn't hang it in my office says more about me than it does the Mona Lisa. They don't really care what I think about it. It is a masterpiece. And when you hear the word masterpiece, what is it that comes to mind? Do you think of a work of art? Maybe it's the Mona Lisa. Maybe it's something from Van Gogh. Did you know that they're having a Van Gogh experience? Come to Detroit here during the summer. Hopefully things will be opened back up so you can go. In fact, it's called the immersive Van Gogh experience, which means you can immerse yourself, I guess, in Van Gogh. Okay? But Masterpiece. Masterpiece. Maybe for you it's, it's sculpture. Maybe it's a work of architecture. Then you see sometimes, you know, a building or something like that. If you, if you were to travel internationally, there would be places that you would see that would be considered masterpieces. They have stood the test of time. Sometimes, uh, if uh, the other night, I think I heard that a uh, guy for the Chicago White Sox was like within one out of a perfect game. And then he like, hit a batter, but he still had a no-hitter. And the announcers would call it a, a masterpiece. That's a masterpiece. Masterful job at pitching. I, I don't know what it is that you consider a masterpiece, but I want to look at what God's Word says about being a masterpiece. And, and today we're going to do a little bit of uh, spiritual cardio, okay? Are you ready for that? I'm not gonna make you jump up and down, no jumping jacks, anything like that, um, and uh, you know, no, no, real cardio. But we're gonna do some spiritual cardio because we're gonna kind of jump back and forth, and we're gonna start in the New Testament, and then we're gonna jump to the Old Testament, and then we're gonna come back and finish up with the New Testament, and hopefully, we can weave a thread through this that will help you understand the importance of significance and being a masterpiece. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, but you have your phone, you can actually download a Bible onto your phone. Just go to UVersion, Y-O-U-Version.com, and you can either follow along or download a Bible right there. But we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2 for a few minutes. I want to pull apart this section of scripture and... Uh, And so I hope you'll jump there and follow along with us. If you're online, there's actually a Bible right in front of you uh, that you can hit the tab and follow along with us as well. Just look at Ephesians and click chapter 2. This is what it says. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. Paul does not start off with very good news. And the first few verses of this chapter say you were dead in your sins. You were dead because of your disobedience. It is the way you were made. But verse 4 changes the whole complexion of the story. And it starts off with, but God. But God. And that is so cool. You know, when I was a little kid, they had on ABC, in between the cartoons, you know they'd show, of course, the commercials for the latest thing that you needed for Christmas or your birthday. But they also had this thing called uh, uh, um, school, uh, yeah, schoolhouse rock, OK? And, and, and one of them was the conjunction junction. What's your function? And they'd bring this train in and it had all these little conjunctions on it. I learned more English watching cartoons on Saturday than I did in class. But conjunctions are so important. It turns the entire conversation. But God, rich in mercy, He loved us so much that even though we were dead in our sins, He gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ. And he seated us with him in heavenly realms. Because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages. As examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us. As shown In all he has done for us. Who are united with Christ. And there's the key. United with Christ. Say it with me. Ready? United with Christ. That's the key for this whole passage. We have to be united with Christ. And God saved you by his grace when you believed. You can't take credit for this. It is a gift From God, salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. If you're following along, we get down near the end of that paragraph and it says, For we are God's, what's the next word? Masterpiece. Masterpiece. You're a masterpiece. You may not feel very significant. You may not feel like a master work of art. Can I tell you something? Your value today is not based, thank God, on your feelings. God's word says that if you are united with Christ, you're a masterpiece. You are a masterpiece. Let me break this down just a little bit further before we jump back to the Old Testament. Who is God's masterpiece? All of us who he described in the first part of this chapter as being dead in our sin and disobedience. But we've accepted God's gift of salvation. And God's word tells us that we are born in sin. You were born into sin. You were born into disobedience. We can look at a little baby and let's be honest when you hold a newborn baby there, there's, there's no greater masterpiece is there? Then when you first hold that little one and you realize what God has done. Amazing! A masterpiece! But was there ever a time those of you that are parents those of you that you know, can remember back to that day, was there ever a time when you sat your two year old down and said now look Every once in a while, I'm going to give you something to do, and you're not going to want to do it. When you don't want to do it, you need to go like this. No. All right, let's practice. No, you didn't do that. Was there ever a time where you sat the the brother and the sister or the two brothers or the two sisters or the kids, however many there were, and said, all right, now listen, every once in a while, you're going to be playing with a toy. But it's actually, technically, it's going to be your toy. So this is what you need to do. When they're playing with it, you grab it, hold it close to your chest, and yell, MINE! (laughs) Did you ever give them that lesson? No! But they learned it, didn't they? They knew how to say no. They knew how to shake their head. They knew how to say mine without even being told. Why? because God's word God's word says by one man Adam sin came into the world and so sin entered upon the whole world we were born sinners but God but God rich in mercy what happened Jesus happened Jesus Christ happened. Rich in mercy, he loved us so much that even though we were dead in our sin, he sent Christ and He gave us new life. Now you can look at your life, and, and you might even be sitting here today and say, you know what, Billy, truthfully, right now my life is a mess. I'm just kind of messed up. This this year has been a mess. There have been some decisions I've made that, well, they've been the wrong ones. I've had a fork in the road, and I took the wrong turn. My life is a mess. Listen, your value is not based on how big a mess your life has become. Your value is not based on the mess, nor... Catch this now, some of you that are dear saints and count your relationship with God in decades, nor is your value based on the lack of a mess right now. Paul says, you don't get to boast about this one. It's all God. God, rich in mercy. Look down. Because here's the deal, your value is Based on what someone is willing to pay. Even if you're not a sports fan, my guess is at some point you've read a headline or you've heard something on the news about some quarterback that signed a contract, some first round NBA draft choice that got a new deal, and you thought to yourself, that's ridiculous. They're going to make more playing one game than I'm going to make in an entire lifetime. That's ridiculous. Can I tell you something? It's not. You want to know why? Because their value is based on what someone is willing to pay. And somebody looks at that draft choice, somebody looks at that team and says, this is how much value we place on this person. So we're willing to give them this kind of a contract. We're willing to pay them this amount. God looked down at you. And he, John tells us in his gospel, so loved you and gave you such value that he said, I will send my one and only perfect son to die in your place. Your value is not based on your feelings. Your value is not based on the mess that today you might find yourself in. Your value is based on what God was willing to pay for you. You're a masterpiece. You are a masterpiece. Peter says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died. He was the sacrifice. That's good news. That's good news. But can I tell you something? Paul makes it even better. The next step, he says, you want to know what happened after he died? Easter. Easter. We just celebrated it, right? I mean, Easter is the Super Bowl for all believers in Christ. When Christ, Paul says, was raised from the dead, Paul says he raised us from the dead along with Christ. What was he saying? You were dead because of your sin, because of your disobedience. But Christ died in your place, was willing to give his life for you. And if you will what? Unite with Christ. If you will accept his free gift of salvation, you are raised with him to new life. Old things are passed away, Paul would say in another passage. All things become new. And he has raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. Are you beginning to understand how valuable you are? Are you beginning, no matter how you felt when you came in here, to understand how valuable you are? God points to us as examples of his great grace and his mercy. When's the last time you reflected on that? When's the last time that God's goodness in your life, his grace, was part of your conversation? Lori and I have had opportunity this past week to be part of two homegoings, two dear people, dear friends, one of whom, Dave Edwards, I'll tell you about in a minute, another, Judy King, the mother of my best friend, best man at my wedding, and he actually preceded his mom in death years ago but both of those funeral services both of those homegoing celebrations both of those viewings and gathering together of friends and family you want to know what the conversation is god's grace and god's faithfulness the pictures are reminders of god's grace grace and god's faithfulness why does it take a funeral in order for us to have that conversation we are constantly talking about our needs what we need God to do instead of reflecting on what God has already done and when we begin to reflect on what he's done and when we begin to give him thanks and praise for what he's done then we begin to praise him for what he's going to do And all of a sudden, our attitude changes. Our perspective on life changes. Why? Because if we are united with Christ, we've been raised with him already to the heavenly realms. My wife played a song last night for me on the radio. Uh, Well, it wasn't on the radio. It was on her phone. Apple Music, right? That's a plug. Please send your donations to. Anyways. um, Was it Mercy Me? Mercy Me. Almost home. Almost home. Oh, that's a good song. That's a good song. You know what he's saying? Hey, we've got a home that's been prepared for us, we've got an eternity that's been prepared for us. But you want to know what Paul's saying? We've already been elevated there, we've already been raised with Christ. Our perspective needs to be different than the rest of the world. You're a masterpiece, you have significance. Then Paul tells us how we got there. By the grace of God. He says God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift of God. You can't behave your way into heaven. Listen, if you're here today because you're thinking, you know what? I need to get back to church because who knows what will happen to me. And I want to make sure. No, you've got it wrong. There's no way for you to behave your way into heaven. Because if you thought that you could behave your way in, then can I ask you a question? Could you please come up with the number of good things you're supposed to do? And where did you get that number from? And aren't you going to be bummed if you get to heaven and they say, oh man, missed it by three. (laughs) Missed it just, man, if you'd hung on even for just a couple more days and done just two or three more nice things not based on your behavior, Paul says we are elevated to this lofty position by the absolute grace of God. You can't take credit for it. The reason we do church is because of what he's already done. It's by grace. I've said it to you so many times, But it was brought to the forefront of my mind this week. It's not because of who you are. It's because of whose you are. And earlier this week, we we got the information that a a dear friend of our family, and especially a dear friend of uh, my dad, my parents, their ministry, Dave Edwards, had passed away. And he was down in Florida. And I got the chance to fly to Florida, Lori and I, took off and I spoke at Dave Edwards funeral you want to know why not because of who I am I think we have some pictures actually that will show you who I am in Dave Edwards life you see that little guy up there that's me that's me don't look too closely but I have on brown shoes That's another story we can get into at another time. Actually, the first fight that I remember my parents having when I walked out of the house in the tux and the brown shoes and Dad waited for Mom to say, He's in brown shoes! Anyways, it's a sore subject. I'm still in therapy. (laughs) I was Dave's ring bearer. Dave ministered with my dad hundreds of thousands of miles for over a decade. That's Dad in the front there with the Dave, Dave's in the middle, Dave, Bob, and Mark trio. This is Dave actually outside of Yak Arena, long, long time ago, hauling speakers in for a big rally that they would have there. That is Dave, Bob, and Mark singing in, well, what's right now, if you've been to Hiawatha, it's called the rec hall. But back in the day, it was the tabernacle. And interestingly enough, this summer, there'll be people singing there again because... The building that was up before the camp ever started is still standing. (laughs) And that's where we're going to wind up having church for camp this summer. And I had the chance to speak at Dave's funeral. Why? Because of who I was? Because of what I had accomplished? No! It's because of whose I was. I, at that funeral, was Billy Walker's son. That's what made the difference. That's what got me the invitation. That's what allowed me to speak. And listen, (laughs) what has elevated you to a lofty position? What has elevated you, raised you with Christ into heavenly realms? What has saved you when you believed? Not what you've done, not how you've behaved, but how you've believed. It's not who you are, it's whose you are. And if you are God's child, if you have put your faith and trust in him and asked him to come in and be your savior, you are a masterpiece. You're a masterpiece. For we, he says in verse 10, are God's masterpiece and he has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things planned for us long ago God planned the good works of your life ages ago but I I have a feeling that some of you you still might be struggling a little bit with this because you're like you know what I'll I'll never be a Dave Edwards. I'm never going to stand on a platform and sing a song. I'm never going to lead worship. I'm never going to preach a message. I'm never even going to facilitate a Bible study. How can I do anything significant? How can I be considered a masterpiece? Okay, we got to do this quick, but I need you to run with me back to the Old Testament, okay? This is our spiritual cardio today. Go back to the Old Testament. If you've got your Bible, I want you to turn with me to 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 7. 1 Kings chapter 7. Okay? 1 Kings, if you're looking for it, it's right in front of 2 Kings. Sorry. Um, But in 1 Kings, what you find is the story of a guy by the name of Solomon. He's the king. He has followed a guy, his father, named David. And now it is time to build the temple of God, the house of the Lord. Back in Moses' day, when the Israelites were kind of a transient group, moving out of Egypt, towards and into the promised land, God gave all kinds of specific instruction. In fact, the whole book of Leviticus is is quite a few rules and regulations as far as building what was called the Ark of the Covenant, and then building this set around it and, and even the way that they would dress when they approached the ark and what they would do and, but now now there's a kingdom and God wants a house built for himself and he chooses Solomon to do it and Solomon puts the house of the Lord together and it's just about done and he brings in this guy named Hiram Hiram is, well, he's kind of like Van Gogh, da Vinci. It says, in fact, that he was a worker in brass, cunning, filled with all wisdom and understanding. He knew how to put things together. And Solomon brings him in because he wants to make columns that are at the front of the entrance to the house of the Lord. So he brings this guy in. Now, if you're reading in the King James Version, which is actually what I have in in front of me right now, it's talking all about cubits, and it talks about chapters. He made two chapters of molten brass to set upon the tops of the pillars. The height of one chapter was five cubits, and the height of the other chapter was five cubits, and nets of checker worth and wreaths of chain work for the chapters on one and chapters on the other. Can I tell you what he's talking about? Let me just break it down to you, okay? In fact, some of you might even have the measurements a little easier in your scripture. It says at the very top, 1 Kings chapter 7, verse 22, upon the top of the pillars was lily work. So was the work of the pillars finished. Finished. So here's what's going on. They're finishing the temple of God. They're finishing the house of God. Solomon brings this guy in who is a he's a master craftsman, okay? Because he wants him to build the columns. And he builds these columns. And what you're finding here is basically he built columns that were 27 feet tall and 18 feet around. Okay? So you'd be going one, two, three, you keep going around 18. They're huge. And they're 27 feet tall. But on top of the 27 feet, he adds another 7.5 feet. Okay? He puts another 7.5. It's like, you know, the topper, right? I mean, it's not enough that we got the column. We got to put a topper in there. So these columns at the front of the house of God are 35, 36 feet. Paul, let me give you a little perspective. You see the ceiling above you? Go ahead, look up. Okay, now look back up here. If you keep looking up, you're daydreaming. It's about 18 feet. Double that. If you double that, that's the size of the column. That's the size of the pillar. And verse 22 says on Top of the pillars was lily work. What's going on? On top of 35 feet, he decided to put some works of art. He decided to add to his masterpiece. And he put some design, some works of art that looked like lilies. Who's going to see that? Can I tell you, you've already figured it out, haven't you? The only one who's ever going to see the lily works is God. The only one who's ever going to see the lily works is God. You can't see it. No one will ever notice it. No one's ever going to come and say, man, the, the lily works on the top of that, unreal. Nope. No, nope. no, you you can't even back. in they, that day, they're, they're, there's not even a drone to go up and take a picture. Only God Himself will see the lily work. And you want to know something? That was enough. That was enough. Your life is not necessarily a masterpiece because of what everyone sees and what everyone says. Your life can be a masterpiece to God because of the lily work. The stuff that only he will see. Now, you ready? We've ran back to the Old Testament. Now we're going to sprint back to the New Testament, okay? Because we're going to finish this with a flourish. I want you to go to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. Where are we going? Acts? There you go. Acts chapter 9. So go back there with me, and I want to share with you three quick people from that chapter who, in my opinion, lived a life of lily works. Do you understand what I say when I give you that term? What only God can see. What only God can use. Lily works. In the beginning of chapter 9, verse 1, it says, Meanwhile, meanwhile, it's like a Batman cartoon. (laughs) Meanwhile, (laughs) Saul was uttering, I'm sorry, my (laughs) mind just goes. That was like a freebie. First service didn't get that. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. Saul, here's his story. He wants to wipe out the church, he wants to wipe out early believers and Christians. He wants to kill, in fact, those who claim the name of Christ. But on his way to Damascus to do just that, to continue his rampage, and with authority papers in his hands, Acts chapter 9 tells us that a bright light shone down on Saul. In fact, it was so bright that it blinded him. And he fell to the ground, and a voice called out to him from heaven and said, Saul, what are you doing? That's a paraphrase, okay? You can read for real what happened in Acts chapter 9. But basically, it was the Lord saying, Saul, you're a mess. And Saul cried out, Lord. That's all he did, Lord. I'll tell you something, later in his life, he would realize that when he called on the name of the Lord, you want to know what happened? He was saved in that instant, in that moment, he cried out, "Lord," and he would look back and say, "At that moment, my life was changed." And he was led by his friends that were with him. They took him to a holiday inn Express in Damascus because he couldn't see, he was still blinded. He had no idea what to do with what he had just experienced. So they checked him into a room, and they checked out because they knew something had happened, but it was like,." Ah not sure we want to be a part of this and there he is and so the Lord looks down and finds a guy by the name of Ananias and he says in verse 10 there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias and the Lord spoke to him in a vision calling Ananias yes Lord he replied and the Lord says I want you to go you need to go to the Holiday and Express and in room 504, there's a guy there by the name of Saul. I need you to go see him. And Ananias is like, uh, <coughs> Lord, I got a cough. I think I'm coming down at something. I lost my mask. I can't go out. He was coming up with something, anything. He didn't want to go. Why? He's like, uh, have you heard about this guy? He doesn't like Christians. And I are one. And God says, go. For Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel. If you're taking notes, just write down the name Ananias and put down the word initiate. Initiate. Somebody had to go. Somebody had to have the conversation. Somebody had to give the invitation. And Ananias was that man that God used. You want to know what he was? Lily works. Now, you don't notice, do you? Ananias saying, hey, whoa, 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 wait a second. How about instead of sending him, you send me? I'll go to Kings. Does it come with free breakfast? Are they going to give me a room for the, Let me go. Ananias, I need you to go because I'm about to elevate this guy that none of you like. And he's going to do great things for me. Great things for me. And Ananias went. And he is the first one to welcome Saul in. And in fact, the change is so radical, he's no longer Saul, he's Paul. And he becomes the greatest missionary and the greatest church planter. The greatest evangelist, the most prolific writer of the New Testament. And God uses him to go up and down the European coast. And everywhere he goes, he talks about Jesus. Why? Because a guy by the name of Ananias was willing to set aside his fear. Set aside the knot in his stomach and set aside the fact that his mouth got a little dry when he went to talk to him. And he initiated Paul into the family of God. He, in a sense, gave him the, some of you old school Baptists will remember this term, the right hand of fellowship. Into the family of God. Who is it in your life that you need to be the Ananias for? Who is it that you need to initiate that conversation with? Who is it that God is is saying, hey, go, go? Lily works. The story of Paul continues, though verse 26, it says, when Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. They didn't believe he had truly become a believer. Then Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus, and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. And he told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. So Saul stayed with the apostles. How did that happen? Lily works. Barnabas. If, if you wrote down Ananias and initiate, write down the name Barnabas and next to it put the word encourage. Barnabas was an encourager. And he went and he saw this new Christian convert This one that they had been so afraid of, had heard so many stories about. In fact, let's be honest, there's probably some in the group who have had family members or friends jailed, killed because of this guy. They don't want anything to do with him. And Barnabas says, hey, Saul, come come on with me. And he introduces him to the apostles, and he becomes the encourager in Paul's Life. In fact, when it's time for Paul to go on his first missionary journey, you know who goes with him? Barnabas says, I'll go. Now, it seems to me that Barnabas should have said, hey, you know what, actually, I kind of need to lead this. So why don't you sit down, I'll I'll, I'll take it from here. Because after all, I mean, I've been saved for a lot longer, and let's be honest, I never killed it. I never threw anybody in jail for following Christ, so you just sit here, Saul. all right, hang on we'll get you, We'll get you into the game. just just wouldn't that be our attitude? All right, now, Saul, you need to pay your dues. don't worry, we'll get you in, but listen to a pro do it. That wasn't Barnabas, in fact, in fact. After one of their journeys, they come back, and there is a bit of a disagreement between Barnabas and Paul. And it probably could have blown up and been far worse. But Barnabas just said, you know what? It's all right, man. I'll I'll back off. Why don't you take Silas and go this direction, and I'll, I'll head another direction. That was Barnabas. What was that? lily works lily works what God could see was most important to Barnabas he used his influence, are you ready for this to elevate Paul he used his influence to elevate Paul Okay, last one. we got to wrap this up. Keep going in that chapter. You just stay right in chapter 9. So you can read this chapter later today and get all three of these stories. But it says in verse 36, there was a believer in Joppa named Tabitha, which in the Greek is Dorcas. So she went by Tabitha. Never mind. She was always doing kind things for others and helping the poor. She was always doing kind things for others and helping the poor. What is that? That's Lily Works. And the scripture goes on to say that she became ill and she died. And some of the believers there in Joppa, they heard that Peter was close by. And so they sent a couple of Christ followers to to get Peter and see if he would come, if there was anything that possibly he could do. And so Peter makes his way to Tabitha's home. And in verse 39, it says that as soon as he arrived, they took him upstairs and the room was filled with widows who were weeping and showing him the coat's and other clothes Dorcas had made for them now is there any chance that she made some clothes for herself yes yes I'm sure she did and I'm sure that you know like all ladies this probably started way back when but she'd walk in you know and somebody would say oh Where'd you get that outfit? And she was like, oh, this old thing. I made it. Oh, oh, I love it. You do? Do you want one? And all of the ladies who were gathered there weeping were showing Peter, this is what she made for me. This is what she did for me. She didn't do that so it would be written about in Acts. She wasn't doing that so we'd be reading about it 2,000 years later. She did that because she had been elevated by the grace of God, and she was a masterpiece in his eyes. And she was just doing what she could do. Kind works, always helping out the poor. Nobody was writing anything about her. Nobody was coming to a Bible study. Nobody was listening to her speak. No one was reading her books. She was doing what she could do, and she was doing it for the glory of God. Invest is the word that you can write next to Tabitha's name. For Ananias, he initiated the conversation, the word of encouragement, the Welcoming into the family that Barnabas, he brought him to the leadership. He encouraged Paul. He elevated Paul's status, in fact, by encouraging him. And Tabitha, she invested. She invested in other people. She invested the resources, the giftedness that she had. Can I tell you something just being real... And raw here just kind of being honest <laughs> will I get a reward for being a pastor yeah I think that there's scripture that talks about the fact that pastors and shepherds there's, there's a special reward for that can I tell you something though <laughs> I don't think I'm going to get a reward for standing up here week after week and talking to you you want to know why? Because here's, here's the deal. Here's just truth. I'm far more comfortable up here than I am down there. I think God may say, eh, you got your reward for that one. We went to the funeral of Dave Edwards, as I was telling you. And one of those shots that you saw up there was of Dave pulling in these humongous, sure speakers, okay? Today, you know, the idea is see how small the speaker is, right, and how much volume you could get from it. But back in the day, the larger the speaker, the more you got from it. And Dave, I think, even though he had incredible music ability, I think I kind of figured out one of the reasons Dad hired him is because Dave could pull in those big speakers and set the PA up, and Dad didn't have to worry about it. So at all the rallies and at all the crusades, when they got to camp, it was Dave that would haul all that stuff in and set it up. When he got done ministering with Dad back in, I think they figured out it was 1980, he moved down to Florida and he started a ministry with senior saints. It's called the Breakfast Club. And at its height, he was ministering to about 3,000 to 4,000 senior saints every week in Clearwater and Bradenton, and, Lakeland. and at some point, they stopped counting. But near the end of that ministry, they had tabulated that over 4,000 senior saints had accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. You see, Acts tells us the story that Peter walked into the room and he cleared it out. And then he says, Get up, Tabitha. She woke up. And she sat up and Peter helped her off the bed. And it says in verse 42, the news spread through the whole town and many believed in the Lord. And that's what it's all about. And the funny thing is that years later in the life and ministry of Dave, and Dave, he had an incredible influence on my life. And on the life of Craig. Um, of course, dad, you know, I mean, you know, those of you that are attenders here, my dad has been and always will be a hero in my life. But at some point, you know this, at some point when you're a teenager, your parents aren't cool, right? And even if they are, you can't say that, right? Because every kid in school is like, oh, yeah, man, my parents are so uncool. You need somebody else, right? Right? To look up to. And for me, that was Dave Edwards. But it's funny because years later when he had this ministry, he invited Lori and myself and Craig we were traveling and singing and he invited us to come down to the breakfast club and we got the chance to sing in all three of those venues. In fact, we did it a few years in a row. You want to know one of the things I noticed? Is that every time when I'd get there, Dave was already there. And in fact, Dave had been there for over an hour. And you know what he was doing? He was going out to his van, pulling out speakers, pulling out a PA. And at the place in Clearwater, he'd have to haul it into an elevator and take the elevator up two or three floors and then set it up. And he had all the stuff for breakfast. And he had all the promotion. And he had all the decorations. And he was there two, three hours ahead of time setting it all up. Nobody saw that. They saw Dave on a platform. They saw Dave looking good. And he was great. And great will be his reward, but can I tell you something? I think it's possible that a greater reward will happen because he would haul all that stuff down, bring all that stuff in. Nobody patted him on the back and said, hey, thanks for that sound system today. That was, no. The only person who saw that Lily works. Lily works. And the truth is that we are a masterpiece in God's eyes, not because of who we are, but because of whose we are. And we can continue to paint that masterpiece of our lives by realizing the most important works that we do, the most important things that we say The greatest encouragement we can be and give is the stuff that nobody else will see, nobody else will hear, but God will. Lily works. Lily works. And here is the awesome thing all of us can do that, all of us can be part of that. And God can use that, and God can use you to make a difference, just like he did with Tabitha. Many believed because of her story. But it never would have had that ending if it hadn't have been for her beginning. Lily works. You are a masterpiece. Can I say that to you again? Somebody today needs to desperately hear that. I don't know who it is, but you need to hear it today. You're a masterpiece. You are a masterpiece. God has created you, and he's given you good works. So here's the deal. Stop. Forget about trying to help somebody else by telling them what they need to be doing. (laughs) Just worry about doing good. Even though God may be the only one that sees it, sometimes I get in trouble and I'm done. Sometimes I, I, they, somebody will catch me in here. You know, I don't know, washing a window, vacuuming, whatever the case may be. And their tendency is to say, "Why are you doing that? Why is the pastor doing that?" A couple of reasons. Number one, I've been doing it since I was 12. Okay? And it's just one of those things that kind of comes natural. Second thing, to be honest, it's my personality. Okay? I just like things in place. Okay? So I have been straightening chairs and pews as long as I can remember. But there's a third reason for it. And the third reason is this I sometimes think that the things I do that nobody sees, make more of a difference to God than the things I do that everybody sees like I said I'm pretty comfortable on a platform I don't mind talking I don't mind singing I don't mind sharing I'm not sure what the reward will be for that think the greater reward when I get to heaven will be for the stuff that's only between me and him. And I got to look and make sure that I'm doing that. You too. The encouraging word, what you do. In fact, didn't Jesus make it simple enough? He said, you know what? Here, here's the deal. If you'll just give a cup of water to a child in my name, you're in. It's like you're doing it for me. He couldn't have made that any clearer, could he? And that's some of the good work that you and I are a part of. We got some people that come here during the week and they they mop floors, they clean bathrooms, they vacuum, they take out trash. We got somebody that came here to this week, they were painting, doing Nobody will ever notice that. No, nobody's going to give them an attaboy. They just did it. Why? Grace of God. They have been elevated to such a position, and they do it for Him. We got people on staff at this church. They do all kinds of things that no one ever sees. No one ever notices. And you want to know something? Doesn't matter. He sees it. Lily works. All of us can be part of that. And God will use all of it to his glory. Bow your heads together with me in prayer. You know, maybe you are here today and there's never been that moment when you have experienced the grace of God in your life. There's never been that moment when you have accepted his free gift of salvation. Today can be your day, this can be your moment. It starts when you simply accept what God has done on your behalf. And Paul would say in Romans chapter 6 that while the wages of sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And a couple chapters later, he would say that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we will be saved. What about you? You want to make that decision today if you do I want to encourage you whether you are here with us on our campus or if you're watching with us online I want to encourage you today to accept God's free gift of salvation and you do that today you can do that today by simply praying this prayer if that's your desire I want you to pray this prayer pray it in your heart you don't need to say it out loud he'll hear you but simply say Lord Jesus I do believe you love me, that you came and died and rose again for me. Come into my heart, forgive my sin, and save me. I make you the Lord of my life in the quietness of this moment just between you, me, and God, if you prayed that prayer, would you just quietly, quickly, just slip up your hand and put it down. Just say, yeah, that's me today, Billy. I prayed that prayer. I invited Christ to come into my life. Just slip it up and put it down. That's me today, Billy. I prayed that prayer and invited Christ to come into my life. If you're online watching with us and you prayed that prayer, there's a tab that came up that says, today I accepted Christ. Would you just click that button? We may not even know your name. That's not important. God does. And you can know that before the end of this day, we'll be praying for you. For some of you, maybe the next step in your spiritual walk is to follow him in believer's baptism. And We are so excited that our Easter offering has allowed us to order a baptistry that will be here in just a few weeks, and we're going to have a baptismal service, and we'd love for you To be part of that service. Or maybe you're a baptized believer and you want to join with us here at Calvary. Any one of these decisions, we'd encourage you, if you're online, just let us know. And if you're here with us, just come. Talk to one of us that's been on a platform and let us know the decision you made and we'll let you know how you can take that next step in your walk with God. Father, thank you for meeting with us here today. You are a good God, so full of grace so full of mercy. May we concentrate on that this week. May our conversation be peppered with your goodness. And Lord, may our lives, well, may they be lily works. May they be lily works for you. We thank you, Lord, for loving us, for meeting with us here today. And Lord, for any today who have responded to the invitation to come to know you, I pray that you do something tangible in their lives in the next few days to help them realize the importance of the decision they made today. Is our prayer in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 I hope through the calisthenics of jumping back and forth, you are able to see a thread woven through that and that you will understand you are a masterpiece created for good works, good works.